It is great to see you today as we kick off the Christmas season. If you're a guest, my name's David. I'm the pastor of the church. It's good to have you here. I've been out. Uh, I hadn't preached since October the 9th. Some of you have been coming for a couple of months. You've never even seen me. You didn't even know there was a pastor who existed. Well, I'm it. And uh, I always uh, tend to take off the month of November traditionally, and, and I did that. The guys did a great job. And then, you know, I took off the, those last three Sundays of October. The staff did a great job. I know it was tough for them. Some of you may not know, if you're fairly new, my wife passed away in October after a short, fierce, and courageous battle with cancer. And the guys did a great job. Uh, Joe, in particular, had to fill in. I took a series. It's hard to preach a series when it's not yours. Joe did a pretty good job. He did about 75% as well as I would have, I think. I think that's being generous. I'm cutting him some slack. But he did good. And uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate uh, all of everything. I know uh, y'all are uh, always concerned about me. That knows I'm doing well. I'm fine. She, Debbie's with Jesus, you know, and uh, she's good. Uh, and I learned this early in marriage, especially you young guys. If you're young in marriage, some of you guys aren't married yet. Some of you guys, you listen to. This is great advice. Never forget this. If your wife is good, you're good. My wife is good. I'm good. You don't have to ask me anymore how I'm doing. It's Christmas, and we love Christmas, celebrate Christmas at our house. Debbie loved to celebrate, my goodness, 60-plus nativities, six trees. I got them up with the help of some of our staff wives. Thank you so much. I know that uh, they did it, uh, Session and Leanne, Tanta, Lauren, and a couple of the girls, uh, London, Acacia Help. We got it all up, and we're celebrating Christmas. And Christmas is just a time to celebrate, man. It really is. We're celebrating Jesus' birth. This is cool. Don't be a Grinch. Don't be a Scrooge. Don't be the person who's always critical and criticizing. Nobody wants that. Nobody cares if somebody makes a profit off Christmas. I hear people say, oh, it's all commercial. You think Jesus cares? You think in the list of things Jesus is worried about, somebody making a dollar off his birth is at the top of the list? It's not an issue. If it is, he'll settle it. You don't have to. And just because someone says happy holidays, it's okay. We know what holiday it is. And they can add Hanukkah and Kwanzaa and whatever else. It's fine. It's Christmas. We celebrate the birth of Jesus. That's cool. And, it's, it's, and if they put stuff out in September, it's cool. Because it says Christ must. But it's Christ. And here we celebrate Christmas. I love to celebrate Christmas at our church. Next Sunday at 4 and 6 o'clock. Uh, we have a Christmas musical. Uh, some of you in these, uh, this service, the next two may not realize it, but uh, in the past we've had a choir and our wonderful um, music pastor, music minister, Mike uh, Edwards, uh, always leads that. He's done a phenomenal job. I said in the first service, he's been doing it for like six decades. He's done a really good job at that. You want to come on the 18th in all of our services, our praise group puts together a really cool piece and you want to be a part of that. Uh, Christmas Eve, four services. Three, four, five, and six. I got them right, I think. I'll be here for all of them. Uh, tickets are available today. Tickets are free. What a ticket does is this. It gets you in 10 minutes early because the crowds and some of the services can get pretty full. 10 minutes early gets you in at five minutes till we let the riffraff without a ticket in. So you can come in at that point. And then Christmas Day falls on a Sunday. Service at 9, 1030. Same service. Same service. Just come. It's just, it's just a time of celebrating Jesus. And that's what we need to do. 
And it's always special when Christmas falls on a Sunday. And I don't ever like to, I, mean, I don't just rehash old sermons. I always do fresh stuff. But there's only a few things you can preach about. Whenever Christmas falls on a Sunday, it always reminds me of really what is entitled of our sermon series this, this month. When Jesus came, that was the day the world forever changed. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at the day the world forever changed. And here's what I want you to see from this entire series is this, that the birth of Jesus was the turning point in human history. It was the pivotal event that signaled something was different, that a change was coming. So what was the change? And why was it needed? And for the next few weeks, we're going to give you the answer. And as we do that, we're going to come today, and we're going to be in the book of Luke for a couple of weeks, for, for this whole series. And in the gospel of Luke, which is Luke giving us the account of Jesus, not only does he go back to the birth, he goes before the birth, to the birth of someone else, the coming of John. And in, he does that, and what we see today then in our first message of the series is the day the Lord spoke again. After 430 years of silence, the Lord spoke again. Here's what I want to share with you about the message today. There are times in life when God seems silent, but is he? There are times in life that God seems silent, but is he really silent? So let's just talk about that. Let's talk about the fact that sometimes God seems silent. 430 years is a long time. It's a long time. 430 years ago, if I did the math right on my calculator the other day, it was 1592. 1592. You realize the first colony in America, Jamestown, wasn't until 15 years later in 1607? That's the first colony. And, and, the, and the King James Version of the Bible, and I realize some of you think it's archaic, but it was the first modern English version of Scripture, 1611. The first Thanksgiving, 1621. In 430 years, that's a long, long time. And to the people of Israel, it seemed extremely long. Because it had been 430 years since they had had a prophet speak to them. 430 years since they had heard the voice of God. I mean, you go back all the way to, to the time of Abraham. Abraham was born about 1,900 years before Jesus, give or take 100 years, give or take. Uh, interesting thing, you may not realize that the time between Abraham and Jesus is shorter between, than the time between Jesus and now. The Christian era is longer than the Jewish era. Just a little tidbit. Sometimes I throw that fun stuff out there just so you can ponder it. Abraham came into the world, and the world was sinful and wicked, and no one worshiped God. And God decided to change that, and he picked Abraham. And he said, Abraham, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. Now, we understand that's pointing to Jesus. Then I've got a plan in place, and it's going to culminate in Jesus. He said, and to start that off, you're just going to become a great nation. And then he had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons. And the people of Israel came from that. And the people of Israel, man, they were set apart by God, not just to be privileged. They were set apart by God to share his word, to help people come and worship him. God was working through them. He gave them, he gave them so much. He gave them, he gave them the law. Do you realize the law is not there to help us be right with God? God didn't give the law and say, follow the law, you'll be right with me. You'll be my people. God said, you're my people. The law is to help you understand how to connect with me. The law is to help them worship God. He gave them the temple. He gave them so much. He gave them people to speak to them. He gave them guys like Moses and David and Elijah, Samuel. 
And he gave guys that would write and talk about the coming of someone, that someone was the Messiah. Someone's coming. And then he closes all of that out with one prophet, 430 years before Jesus, who warns the people, but before Messiah will come, there'll be something else. And this is how the Old Testament ends. It ends this way, Malachi 4 or 5. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Not Elijah literally, but one like him. The coming of the Lord is a great day. It's an important day, but it's a terrible day for some because it'll be a day of judgment for them. He will restore the hearts of the fathers and the children and the hearts of the children to the father so that I will not come and smite the land with the curse. Without going into all the detail, what he's saying is this. Before the Messiah comes, I'm sending you someone else. And for 430 years they waited. And it was silent. And they didn't hear anything from God. And it was hard. And some of you right now in your life, God seems silent. God seems silent in your life. And you struggle, just like they struggled. You know in that 430 years where God was silent? They were overrun by the Persians. They were overrun by the Greeks. They were overrun by the Ptolemies. They were overrun by the Seleucids. They were overrun by the Romans. Everybody just keep beating up on them. Hey, God, when are you going to do something? God, we're your people. We love you. When are you going to help us out? He was just silent. And Christmas can be so hard because Christmas, you know, it's about joy and it's about peace. It's about hope. And some of you right now, you don't have any joy or peace or hope in your life. Everybody's just running over you. You're broken. And you feel like a failure and you're frustrated and you're lonely. And you love God. You think that you belong to God, but God's not doing anything. God is silent. And it's hard to trust God when he's silent. You know that, right? It's hard to trust God when God is silent. Sometimes God seems silent, but sometimes God speaks. Luke wrote an account of the life of Jesus. We have four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Beautiful. Read the accounts of the life of Jesus all the time. Last year, in fact, we started the year in January, went through April with the account of Jesus from the gospel of Mark. Beautiful. God speaks to us in those stories. When I say that God speaks, I mean God reveals. God reveals to us about Jesus in those gospels. And Luke gives an account, not only the birth of Jesus, he goes before the birth of Jesus. And he starts off in chapter one, and he gives in verse five, and he says it was the time that Herod was king. Now, King Herod, Herod died in 4 BC, um, and so Christ was born, you know, four years before Christ, or five years before Christ because of the calendar system that got off and all that stuff. But, you know, Herod, Herod was king, not in the absolute sense. He still was a vassal. He still had to answer to the Romans. But it just gives a time frame. It gives a reference, okay? And it says there were two people there. 
guy named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. You know, and they love the Lord. Zechariah means God remembers, or the Lord remembers. Um, Elizabeth means God, the hope of God, or the oath of God. And so together it means God, the Lord remembers his oath, his promise. It's kind of significant to point to what's going to happen. But it says they were righteous. They were right with God in the correct ways. Not the self-righteousness of the Pharisees and others. But they were just, they were where God wanted them to be. And they loved him. And they served him. And everybody knew it. But they had this problem. They were barren. They couldn't have kids. And they were past the age of having kids. And back then, being barren was a, was a sign of a curse of God. It, they thought that you were barren as a woman be, or because of your sin. And how would you like to bear that? I can't have kids. Well, it's because of your sin. And women, I, I remember Debbie, you know, Debbie, when we found out that we couldn't have kids together, it was hard on her. Now, we live in a different day and age, and you know, we were able to adopt Kelly and, and fantastic. But, but, you know, that's, that's a burden sometimes. And he was a priest, and she was the daughter of a priest, and they were married. And it says that it was, it was a unique time in their life because as, 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 as Zechariah was a priest, he was part of this group, a division. They had, they had thousands of priests, so they divided the priest into 24 divisions and sections. And his section, his division was called Abijah. And it was their turn to minister for a week in the temple. They did it twice a year, six months apart. So 24 divisions, you know, they do it each twice. That's 48 times. The other four weeks in the year, there were high holy weeks. They had it set up differently. But here's the thing. And they were responsible. His guys, when they came down to take care of the temple, and every day in the temple, twice, once in the morning, once in the evening, you would have a priest light incense in the holy place. Everybody would leave. Now, there were so many priests and lighting the incense was such an important thing that you could only do it once in your life. And some priests never, ever did it. And they would draw lots to see who do it. And his name came up. He drew the lot. So he got to light the incense at an old age. It's the most important thing he'd ever done in ministry. The single greatest and most important thing he would ever do. And, and the people were outside, and they were praying, and he was praying, and you would pray. You would pray for the coming of the Messiah. That's what you pray for. Lord, send, send the Messiah. And he was praying, and it says an angel appeared. <laughs> an angel's the messenger of God. And uh, God speaks to his angels occasionally. Today he doesn't. He speaks to different ways. So if you told me an angel of God came and spoke to you, I'm going to say, uh, no, he didn't. Because the Bible doesn't give you that permission to say that. But before Jesus came, sometimes he would speak through an angel. And remember, God hadn't spoken 430 years. The last time he had spoke, wasn't even through an angel. It was, it was through a prophet. And here he is. So in verse 13, here's where we pick up. The angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. That's like the Christmas story whenever the angel, which is Gabriel, appears, the first thing he says is, don't be afraid. He's always saying, don't be afraid. Makes sense. Because if you all of a sudden see an angel, you're going to be afraid, right? <laughs> if, yeah, you're either going to be afraid or you're going to be in glory with the Lord and celebrating. I put it that way. He says, for your petition... Or your prayer has been heard. Now, the word for petition or prayer speaks of a very specific thing you would ask for. And the word heard doesn't simply mean, yeah, I heard you, I got it. It means to respond. Here with the avenue or with the view to responding. So it's basically saying, we know you prayed, God's going to answer your prayer. Now, what was he praying? We're going you know, to work through this passage. But basically, there's two, two ideas, two lines of thinking. Some think that he took advantage of this opportunity to pray for his son. That he prayed for having a child, which would indicate, you know, maybe by, by being fulfilled that he's going to have a child, that that's what he did. But the thing about it is they were way past the age of childbearing. I mean, that would be a miracle. 
And since he was a righteous man, this is the one time in his life he got to do this, and what you prayed for, you're supposed to pray for, was the coming of the Messiah. Most likely what he prayed for was the coming of the Messiah. And so when God says your prayer has been answered, you know, when the angel says God hears you and answer your prayer, he's most likely talking about in the coming of the Messiah. Now, it just so happens that there was a twofold answer to what he was praying for. We see the first part of that in the sense that it says, your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you will give him the name John. So the first thing he says is you're actually going to have a son. Elizabeth's going to have a son. You may not be praying for this now, but you've been praying for this. This has been your prayer. You probably gave up on that prayer. Have you ever had something you prayed for and eventually just gave up on it because it never came to be? Yeah, I've done that. A lot. Doesn't mean God forgot about it. Doesn't mean God doesn't have a plan to deal with it. You may have forgot about it. He didn't forget about it. And not only that, look what it says in verse 14. He says, you will have joy and gladness. Of course you are. You're going to have a son. You're going to be joyful. You're going to have the gladness that comes from joy. And many will rejoice at his birth. Not necessarily at the time that he was born, but they will rejoice the fact that he was born. Back then, it was common for people to rejoice or to curse at the birth of someone many years later. When they were adult, they would rejoice the fact that their mother had born them or curse the day their mother had born them. Verse 15 says this, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. I mean, God's got something great planned for them. He will drink no wine or liquor. He will abstain. This is the idea of being set apart. He's being set apart by God to do something great. So he'll drink no wine or liquor. Something, and it's possible, this is why we call him John the Baptist. <laughs> I like that. It's not, but it sounds good. I use that when I need to. No, not that. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the concept of the Spirit of God is in the Old Testament, but being called the Holy Spirit, the title, which is the third person of the Trinity, is not used till the New Testament times. So there's an understanding that the Spirit of God, which is all the Holy Spirit has always existed, but the understanding that he's the third person of the Trinity, says he can be filled with him completely while he's in his mother's womb. This is an amazing thing. John hadn't even been conceived yet. God already has a plan for him. And before he's even born, while he's still in the process of developing for nine months in his mother's womb, the Holy Spirit of God is upon him. We don't know when that occurs. We'll just assume conception. And while this has nothing to do with the message, by the way, if you want to use this when you deal with right to life or issues and pro-life issues, go ahead. It's a pretty good passage to use. To say why you are pro-life as a follower of Christ. It's just, this is great. God's got him set aside. He's going to tell you what he's going to do. Verse 16. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. He's going to turn the people of Israel back to God. And when John came, John preached his message of repentance. And people repented and came to God. It's exactly what he's going to do. But not only that, there's more. And now what happens is the angel connects him back. To Malachi, to the last words of the Old Testament. He says, it is he who will go as the forerunner before him. Who is the him? It's the Messiah. 
They were looking for a Messiah. They were wanting a Messiah. And Malachi, remember, Malachi said, for, for, for any day of the Lord, for the Messiah comes. Before that, there's coming someone else like Elisha. He says it's going to be him. He's going to be in the spirit and power of Elisha. Notice what he's going to do. He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous. Now, there's a lot of time, effort, and energy spent trying to understand exactly what this means and who are the fathers and children and the righteous and the disobedient. And, and that's cool and that's good. But in the end, it all means the same thing. There's going to be a restoration of relationships. He is going to turn people back to God. And then he's going to turn people back to relating to one another in the life of Israel. There's going to be a renewal in Israel back to the way God wants things to be before the coming of the Messiah. So as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He's not the Messiah. He's getting ready for the Messiah. And when God speaks again, what he is saying is the Messiah's coming. You want to know how you know the Messiah's coming? Because I'm going to fulfill what I said way back in Malachi 430 years ago. That's how you know. And when God speaks again, that's what he says. So here's the thing. God to Zechariah, the coming of your son points to the coming of my son. And all of that is to fulfill what is in Scripture in the Old Testament. The coming of your son points to the coming of my son. And get this, and my son will change everything. Jesus will change your life because that's why Jesus came. So I said, you know, God sometimes seems silent. God sometimes speaks. But the truth is, God is not silent. God is never silent. God is always speaking. It's a fundamental teaching in the New Testament. In January, I started a series entitled Collision. It's about um, how we as followers of Christ are colliding with the culture around us and their opposition to Christ. And then it's about how we deal with that. It's from the book of Hebrews. And the book of the Hebrews is an amazing book, written 35 years after Christ ascended. And it's an undervalued and underappreciated book, but it begins this way in the first verse. A long time ago, God would speak through the prophets. We did. But in these days, he speaks to us through his son. How does God speak to us? It's through Jesus. That's what Christmas is all about. A couple of weeks ago, Joe preached from John uh, 1, John 1, 1, John 1, 14. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Jesus was at the beginning. He's God. And then verse 14 says, in the Word, that is Jesus, became something he never was before. He became flesh. And he dwelt among us. We beheld the glory of God. See, in Jesus, God reveals himself and speaks. In the Gospel of John, it's the most famous and probably beloved verse in all the New Testament. And we forget and probably don't realize that John 3.16 really is a Christmas verse. It really is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved. And the word love is the word, the word agape. It's only found once, maybe twice outside the New Testament. All of this meaning comes from the New Testament. It means to give. In fact, John 3.16 defines agape. God gave. It's a sacrificial love. God gave. And the reason that God loved, he loved, and what he loved was the world. 
And the term world doesn't speak just of the you know, earth or even all the people. It speaks to the fact that people are in rebellion against God. It's how it's used. All those people in rebellion against God before Jesus, God loved them. You understand he loved every one of them. He loves every one of us. So he gave his son, his only son. Why? So we wouldn't perish because of our sin and be destroyed, but we could have eternal life. That's why he gave Jesus. The only caveat to all that is you've got to have faith. You've got to trust him. But never lose sight that the reason for Christmas is because of one thing and one thing only. It's because of the love of God for people who have rebelled against him and rejected him. That's the amazing thing about Jesus coming. He came to all of us who rebelled against God because God loves us and wants us to spend eternal life with him. I really want you to get this. This, this, this is so important. There are times when God seems silent in our lives, but he's not. He is always speaking, and he always loves us. He always loves you. For 430 years, God seemed silent, but he wasn't silent. He was always working in their life. Everything that happened was to get everything ready for Jesus. And besides that, God had given them something. They gave given them the law and the prophets. That's what they called the Old Testament. He gave them all of that. He told them a Messiah is coming. Get ready. He told them someone's going to come and prepare the way. Get ready. He told them all of that. And they ignored it. And the Jews took their faith and turned it into a system of religion. I shared this with you when we went through the Gospel of Mark last year. The whole thing you kept seeing Jesus do was coming and breaking up and destroying a religious system. And that's why God seemed far away. Because they weren't listening to God anymore. They weren't letting God speak to them the way he always spoke. It's the same way today. We have religion all around us. I was in a meeting the other day that said the Gen Z, that's you younger people, are the most religious generation since my generation. Baby boomers are what we like to call the greatest generation in the history of human life. (laughs) The difference is we focus on Jesus, and they don't. And all these philosophies and worldviews and all this way of life just leave out Jesus. And so God seems silent. Understand, God always speaks in and through Jesus. He will not speak to you through Islam. He will not speak to you through any Eastern mysticism. He will not speak to you through yoga. He will not speak to you through any kind of multiculturalism. He will not speak to you through any moral relativism, syncretism. He will only speak to you through Jesus. That's why Christmas is so important. We're going to talk about the birth of Jesus these next three weeks, next four weeks, count the day. But we're going to talk about how God speaks to us in Christ. And we need to understand that's exactly why we need to focus on Christmas. That's exactly why we need to help people work through Christmas. Because it's the birth of Jesus. And the birth of Jesus is the story of God loving us, even in our rebellion. It is the story of God speaking to us once and for all. It is the story of God doing what only he could and can do. What only God can do. And he will only do it through Jesus.
This last 10 months has been a challenge for me. It's been a challenge, you know, for Debbie and I. And it was uh, an amazing to see her faith and her love for the Lord to the very end. And in all of that challenge, you know, from an earthly perspective, things didn't go the way we had hoped. It just didn't. Now, from an eternal perspective, it did. I mean, from an eternal perspective, it went exactly the way we want. Isn't, don't we want for eternity to spend eternity with Jesus? But we just don't want to do it today, right? I mean, we don't. We don't want to do it today. Yet through all of that struggle, even to this day, God was never silent. There was never a moment where God abandoned us. There was never a moment where God wasn't real. See, through all of that, God loved us. God comforted us. God revealed himself to us. And God always gave us Jesus. He always gave Debbie and I Jesus. That's what God does when he speaks. It's always Jesus. So at Christmas, God spoke. And he spoke through Christ. I began the message saying that there are times in our life when God seems silent, but is he? Is God ever silent in your life? And the answer is no. He's always speaking. He's always working. But sometimes you just don't hear him. And you just don't experience in him. Because you're ignoring, moving away from, or not listening to Jesus. The day the world forever changed began the day that God spoke again. And he spoke again, pointing to Jesus. In just a minute, as we have our, we'll call our invitation, our time to respond. So I'll be up here. A couple other guys will be here. Hopefully, there'll be a, a lady to be up here. For some of you women, prefer to talk to another woman. You want to come pray with us, can, and pray for yourself, somebody, join the church, give your life to Christ. You can do that. You can do things right where you are. But here's the thing. I want you to look at your life. Does God seem silent to you right now? Does God seem far away? He's not. He doesn't have to be. You just turn to Jesus. You pray to Jesus. You trust Jesus. And you walk out of here knowing that God is never silent. So, Father, we pray in the name of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we would hear you speak to us the only way you will is through the life, the story, the truth, the realness, the birth, the death, the resurrection, and the salvation of Jesus. Some of us need to hear you speak to us. Because to some, Father, you seem like you've been silent, but you're not. We just need to turn to you and listen 
and focus and trust Jesus. So God, let us do that right now today and walk out of here knowing you are never silent. Amen. And amen. Just stand. You come forward.